Oh, we made it to the end of the week. This is the Last Call Podcast with Chris Michaels. I promised a little bit of a more esoteric show tonight, and I will promise you to get into that. But first off, does everybody remember uh, that company Connick, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, they were caught, Eugene Yu was caught sending election data and your voting records to servers in China so that the CCP could use that data however they see fit because for all intents and purposes, it could probably be rightfully surmised that Chinese IT is far ahead of the United States's in so much as that they have access to every single record you could possibly be leaving in an electronic format. So from the Epic Times, Mr. Stiber... LA's Soros DA gets charges dropped against election software CEO. And so this case was probably quoted as being the largest data breach in the United States' history. And the LA Supreme Court judge threw out the charges of conspiracy and grand theft by embezzlement of public funds against Eugene Yu at the request of L.A. District Attorney George Gaskin, G-A-S-C-O-N. And, of course, Koenig, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, did not respond for comment, and they said, this was their response, well, we are concerned, and by the way, Gaskin is a Democrat, what are the odds? We are concerned about both the pace of the investigation and the potential bias in the presentation and investigation of the evidence. You know, I hear that I'm popping my peas, and I may need to... Does this help? Do I have, Do I still pop my peas? No, I don't. Not as... Okay, so we're, <laughs> we're going to hold up a, uh, a popping guard. So if you're into broadcasting, you pop your peas, and all of a sudden your, your eardrums are blasted because I'm popping peas. So I can do this and pop peas, and it's not as bad. So anyway, uh, as a result, uh, where was I? I lost train of thought. Okay, and the potential bias in the presentation and investigation of the evidence, said Tiffany Blacknell, spokeswoman for the office. And, And she goes, as a result, we have decided to ask the court to dismiss the current case and alert the public in order to ensure transparency. And Mr. Yu's good name was tarnished by false narratives from fringe conspiracy theorists who bragged about enlisting Los Angeles prosecutors to further their political agenda. Okay, so what happened here? You've got what we've known since 2020. If you look at some of the data on how votes and ballots are tallied, the information is through is submitted through an electronic voting machine. That data is then sent to another server. Oh, it's not supposed to be hooked up to the interwebs. Well, more than likely it is, because there are plenty of people that can actually hack them, and that evidence is out there if you dare do the search for it. So, what did we find out during 2020? We found out that the election data was then sent to another country and then sent back to the United States. So in other words, the voting data went in, then it was sent out to China, then sent back to the United States. And that was all sanitized for us to try and digest as a valid election result. Other countries that were involved in something like that happened to be Italy, 
Germany and Spain, if I remember, uh, because I'm trying to remember things from six years ago. Uh, Not only that, but two years ago. Uh, So the point is, is that you've got election data getting shot all over the uh, planet. And if it's shot all over the planet, that means the integrity of the data is certainly suspect, especially when that data is going to countries that would have a vested interest to make sure certain political parties are elected over others in the United States. Hello, China and Democrat Party, specifically the Biden family. So that tells us that any sort of district attorney that happens to be aligned with Democrats, specifically in Democrat-run cities and, uh, well, Democrat-run states, are extremely suspect. They do not have their integrity in mind. They don't have the legitimacy of the electoral process in the United States in mind. They are part of that clan that I dubbed the other day, the global citizens. They don't care about the nationalities anymore. They only care about what lines their pockets and what enhances their allies' power. So in this case, you have an L.A. Democrat throwing out a basically a conspiracy charge uh, where somebody was taking Americans' election data and giving it to a foreign intelligence service, and then, oh, it's just slander. Real, I, is it slander? Did you do any research? Was any research presented? Was any evidence presented to uh, maybe corroborate the accusations? Oh, I don't know. Ugh. So that's the first sign of ickiness. The second thing, if you're paying attention to Arizona, Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs, Katie Hobbs is, well, a slob. And she has a twin sister. And the twin sister came out and said that basically what Katie Hobbs has done is fund Carrie Lake's campaign because Katie Hobbs felt as though that Carrie Lake would be a better opponent to run against because she's MAGA and MAGA can't win. Well, it turns out that Miss Hobbs is in a heap big pile of trouble. And earlier today... Uh, the, the chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. So Maricopa County encompasses Phoenix and a long strip that goes north and south in Arizona. And they said, oh, it's going to take until early next week to count 400,000 ballots. Okay, it is now November 10th. It is two days after Election Day. Where were the 400,000 ballots and how come you didn't know about them? How come nobody answers that question? What do you mean? They just popped up 400,000 ballots. I mean, Phoenix is not a big state. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona is not a big state. So please tell me, where were these 400,000 ballots? And of course, Carrie Lake is apoplectic. And as well, she should be. So she comes out and says, that's it. Who's responsible for the elections in Arizona? And she says, Miss She's referring to Katie Hobbs here, her opponent. Miss, I don't do debates and I hide in the basement. Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State, and she refuses to recuse herself. So in other words, Katie Hobbs is running for governor against Carrie Lake. Katie Hobbs is currently the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State is there to enforce the validity of the election process. In other words, Katie Hobbs is the one that runs the election machines. She's the one that runs the elections in Arizona. Do you think 
Carrie Lake is going to be given a fair shot when your opponent is in charge of running the election machines. Of course not. You'd be a fool to think otherwise. So, what does this mean? And this goes to reinforce what I said the other day. Get rid of the mail-in ballots because that's where these ballots are coming from. Supposedly, there are these 400,000 ballots. I'm not going to hold this uh, this mic guard up anymore. Uh, I can't do it. So, supposedly, these 400,000 ballots are all mail-in early voting ballots. So, what does this imply? This goes in both directions. In Carrie Lake's case, the 400,000 mail-in ballots represent, more than likely, ballots going towards Republicans. In this case, Carrie Lake. In other states, if it looks like the Democrats are about to lose, but it's a relatively tight tight race, then all of a sudden, oh, these mail-in ballots come in and we have a ballot dump, like I showed you on my Instagram uh, yesterday, uh, or today, I should say, and also on Twitter today, those photos I showed you of these jumps in ballots, then, oh, goodness gracious, we just found you know, 100,000 ballots, and wouldn't you know, 90% of them went to the Democrat candidate, so the Democrat candidate is obviously leading. In Carrie Lake's case, these ballots are probably going towards Republicans like Carrie Lake. So what did they do? The Democrat running the election, which happens to be Carrie Lake's opponent, makes sure that those ballots do not get counted in an appropriate amount of time. In other words, if they don't have to count them, they won't count them. So if it looks like Carrie Lake is winning, or I should say this, if it looks like Katie Hobbs is winning, they will never count those 400,000 ballots. But if it looks like If the situation was reversed and Carrie Lake was a Democrat and Carrie Lake was losing, all of a sudden, oh, we found 100,000 and there's 400,000 to go. And wouldn't you know, they're all Democrat ballots. So they go in both directions. They go in both directions. If they feel as though the Democrat is about to lose, they start accessing these mail-in ballots that they have on the sidelines that they don't touch unless there's an emergency. And those ballots will go towards the Democrat. If it's a Republican candidate and there are ballots that are mail-in and uncounted, what happens is they know that those ballots will go to the Republican side, so they will not count them or they will drag out the process as long as possible so that, oh, the ballots get lost. Oh, we didn't have 400,000. We only had 100,000. Oops, sorry. And then you find them burned up in the middle of the desert like they found in 2020. So the mail-in ballots have to go. The mail-in ballots are there to sabotage elections for the Democrats. They have to go. They should not be allowed. Not now. Not ever. Ever. Okay. So we'll watch Carrie Lake's uh, race even more. Um, And and there were other videos that came out about the ickiness there. Uh, People, uh, astute individuals, lovable fuzzballs on the last call caravan, uh, told me things about other states, saying that once it looks like the election is going to go one way, 
then miraculously, all of these mail-in ballots are found and they have to count those. And then, oh, poof, the election goes in a different direction. This is fraud. This is cheating. There's no integrity in the American election anymore. So then the next question becomes, why even vote in the situation like this? People say, oh, go out and vote. You're going to bust the algorithms. Really? I don't think so. It doesn't look like the algorithms were busted. If you were to do anything, you'd probably have to create an infrastructure like Florida created to make sure that ballots and votes are actually counted in an appropriate way. So, there's where I'm going to... Oh, and uh, Trump, I mean, look up his Truth Social. He went off on Ron DeSanctimonious in Florida, governor, because... because since when, by the way, did this midterm election become a referendum on Donald Trump? That's what the mainstream media and the mainstream Republicans want this midterm election to be all about. Because if you reject these candidates, then you're rejecting Trump. And so that means that everybody can put Trump aside and get back to business as usual with child trafficking and human trafficking and stealing taxes from American taxpayers— but if Trump is still around, then they've got a problem. So that's why you've seen all of the rhetoric from the New York Post and everywhere else. So Trump went on this tirade against Ron DeSantis, and I, I'm not gonna, it, it is literally pages, pages of this stuff. And he and he went on Truth Social, and he did a lot of, I guess, truth socialing, truthing, if you will. Uh, so, but this this is where I'm going to end it. We're going to get into the esoteric stuff. So. You can turn off the podcast now because this does sort of have to do with politics, but it also has to do with metaphysics and a little bit of spirituality. Um, so if you're not into that stuff, feel free to leave. Nobody's paying me to broadcast anyway, so it won't affect me in any way at all. So one of the brilliant, lovable fuzzball listeners by the name of Fred Moore decided to send me a link, and he was spot on. This comes from the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. And guess what? In Sinai, a prophetic call for climate justice and ceremony of repentance. Between November 6th through 18th, the UN Climate Conference, COP27, will take place on the Sinai Peninsula in Sher oh man, Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Religious communities and religious leaders have a key role to play in addressing climate change and climate justice, which requires deep transformation within society. So you're talking about social engineering. You're talking about rewiring religion. The knowledge of what changes are critically needed to diminish long-term harm to the planet. However, bringing about change in action demands deeper changes in attitude and a change of heart. This has been the domain of religions for millennia. So why not get all of the religious leaders out there to go to Mount Sinai? So Here's the funny part of all of this. You've got everybody going, Muslims, Jews, Christians, uh, Orthodox, they're all going to Mount Sinai to start praying for climate justice. So we all know that climate change and, cl well, I should say this, we all know that the climate agenda 
is a fake narrative. It ain't you that's causing the climate change. It is a natural cycle. It is a natural, astrological, metaphysical cycle. It's going to happen. It brings on the advancement of mankind on a spiritual level. Why are they going to Mount Sinai? They're going to Mount Sinai because it has to do with the advent of an extremely large amount of feminine energy permeating the Western culture. So think about that statement. Feminine energy permeating the Western culture. What do all of the Democrats and rollover Republicans want? They want to have, oh, transgenderism, you're turning men into women, Um, there is a certain level of not having a specific uh, uh, direction. I was going to say agenda, but direction, right? So a masculine energy is powerful and it goes into a direction. A feminine energy creates the atmosphere. It creates the energy to go in that direction. You can't separate the two if you're going to advance. You need the energy of the feminine to make the masculine go in a direction. All of these people that say women don't need men and men don't mean don't need women and we can just mess around with gen- with gender and genetics. No, that's that's not how it works. Both sides play a part in all of this. So why is Mount Sinai important? Because Mount Sinai, what does it mean? It literally means, if you go back to your biblical studies, you can go to the JewishEncyclopedia.com and you can look up Mount Sinai, because that's where I'm going to read it from. But it basically means the mountain of Elohim. In other words, it could also be traced back to the Babylonian moon god Sin. And so what does that mean? Sinai is really Mount Moon, Moon Mountain. So they're trying to access the energy of the moon through this climate change nonsense. So what else does that mean? Even though, by the way, the Babylonian moon god Sin was a man and supposedly gave birth to the sun god, interesting enough, because then you're talking about Zeus, Zeus and all that, and also Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is God's son. There you go. So, sun in both ways, S-U-N and S-O-N. So, if we're going back to Mount Sinai, they're going to a Mount Moon, Moon Mountain, and they're going to pray for climate change, right? Because they're trying to access the moon's feminine energy, right? Because you've got Luna, which is moon. You've got Lunatic, which is crazy. You've got the menstrual cycle, which is tied to the moon. So you have all of that feminine energy. Then you're going to Mount Moon, which is a feminine moon. And then you're going to talk about climate change because you're going to help Mother Earth. So think about what I said before. Think about all the feminine references I just made. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to stymie the direction of mankind's advancement by not creating a masculine counterpart to all of that feminine energy. So you're going to have a lot of energetic buildup, right? You're going to have a lot of agitation. You're going to have a lot of ideas, but those ideas are going to be scattered because there's no masculine energy to direct those ideas. We're really getting deep into the Steiner work here, and we're also getting very deep 
into metaphysics. So you have to bear with me in all of that. So it, it, you have to look at it from a top-down level, very, very broad energetic level, okay? So the other part to the, all of this is an article that came out uh, the other day, and it was on Giza Death Star, one of my favorite authors, Joseph P. Farrell. And so uh, if you want to look up Farrell, it's F-A-R-R-E-L-L. So he came out with an article, uh, or he referenced an article, about HARP. So does everybody know what HARP is? It's H-A-A-R-P. It stands for High Altitude Auroral Research Project. So basically, it messes around with the atmosphere, and it can do all sorts of icky things to plenty of items that we all know and love, like the weather. So it messes around with the ionosphere, particularly... And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to now break out of the Earth's energetic field and start contacting other planets in the solar system using HARP. Now, let's think about this. If HARP is a high-altitude auroral research project... That means what they're researching is confined to Earth's atmosphere because they're interacting with the ionosphere. So how are they going to manipulate the ionosphere, which is almost electrical if we're really to break it down. It has a lot of charged ions in it. How are they going to use the Earth's ionosphere to contact someplace like, oh, uh, Jupiter? Right? Doesn't that sound odd to you? Doesn't that sound like, um, are, are these planets connected in some way? Because how can the Earth's ionosphere be used to shoot off a beam of energy to contact another planet to bounce that energy off that planet's ionosphere and then back to us? It would almost seem as though there's an energetic pathway between the planets. So it also means that communication between the planets is all in the realm of possibility, no matter what they tell you. So, going back to Farrell's article here, and so he, he basically says, so what exactly is HARP? HARP is a large facility in Alaska, and it is a field of phased array radio antennae. So basically, each antennae uh, emits a, a frequency at a different rate. And so what happens is you can then focus the beam in the ionosphere and do wonderful things like uh, moving weather patterns around, like manipulating the minds and electromagnetic fields of humans and everything else within a particular area. So think of it as you're shooting something up from the ground hitting the ionosphere, giving it a certain frequency so it bounces down at a certain spot on the planet. Do you understand how dangerous that is, specifically if you're manipulating the electromagnetic field of human beings? Especially if they have graphene oxide injected into them. So, he, the article continues, and they... they bounce these beams off of the moon, which we found out is, oddly enough, within the Earth's atmosphere, who would have thunk, right? You saw that article a couple of years ago, but who's involved in all of this stuff? Naval Research Laboratory, Cornell, University of California, Berkeley, 
Canuckistan Council for the Arts, Johns Hopkins, Virginia Tech, Los Alamos National Lab, an aerospace corp. And, oh, wouldn't that be a surprise that the Naval Research Laboratory is involved in there, along with Los Alamos, Area 51. So, wowee, what could they know? What do they want to do? Why are they trying to contact Jupiter of all places? So, Jupiter is a funny planet. So, Jupiter is associated with people like Zeus, people like Baal, uh, if you really go back there, and is associated with the sun god. Zeus is the sun god, right? So if we're looking at the sun, why is Jupiter known as the sun god? Wouldn't you think that Jupiter would be the sun, not the sun? Interesting little tidbit here, right? So there's another person that goes along with that. His name is Arthur C. Clarke. I don't know if you ever remember him. British writer. He wrote 2001, A Space Odyssey. So in that, in that, he, he validates David Icke. Now, it's, it's an old film. It's an old book in 2001 and 2010. So they're sequels to one another, or 2010 is a sequel to 2001. 2001, sci-fi, uh, they find these monoliths, these big black blocks. Every time mankind finds these big black blocks across the planet, and then ultimately within the solar system on the moon and everywhere else, they advance spiritually, and they advance metaphysically. So it's almost like a touchstone. You touch it, and then boom, you're more aware. That's what 2001 and 10 is all about by Arthur C. Clarke. So in the book, or I should say in the movie, uh, the, there is, at the end of it, there is a second sun that starts up. And so what is it? He fools everybody in the movie 2001, which was done by Stanley Kubrick, by the way. Or is it 2000? Now I'm, now I'm second-guessing myself because these stories... Uh, don't, oh man, oh man, I'm all screwed up. Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. So in 2001 or 2010, Saturn, not Saturn, Jupiter, turns into a second sun. In the book, in the actual book, not the movie, in the book, it is Saturn that turns into the second sun. So what does that mean? It means that Saturn's rings are dampening the real sun's energy, much like what David Icke said. So in the movie, it's Jupiter, and Jupiter then turns into, well, if you go into the mythology, like I just said, Zeus is the sun god. You have all these sun gods associated with Jupiter. So you have this idea that there is a future in Jupiter, a future Jupiter, if Jupiter is allowed to unleash all of its power, then mankind could then advance down a different direction. So who else talks about Jupiter? And that is none other than Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner, very, very prolific thinker. Uh, look up Dark Journalist on YouTube. He talks about Steiner all the time. Look up G.G. Young. Uh, you can actually look up Rudolf Steiner himself, on YouTube, and he talks about all the planets and man's progression on a spiritual level, right? 
So Jupiter is known as the thinker. And Jupiter is usually accessed when you want to know about an event that is occurring right now. Creative thoughts received from the universe radiate from Jupiter. Jupiter contains in the form of thoughts all the formative forces for the different orders of cosmic beings. And this is obviously Steiner. Whereas Saturn tells of the past, Jupiter gives a living portrayal of what is connected with him in the cosmic present. So think about this. You've got the military going after Jupiter. Why? With literally frequency waves. You can get a lot from frequency waves. You can get a lot from electromagnetic frequencies. And if you incorporate the spiritual in all of this, it would appear as what the military is trying to... Oh, I'm sorry, not the military. What HARP is trying to do is that they are trying to access Jupiter's knowledge on a metaphysical level. Because you have to... If you really want to understand what's going on on this planet with politics and everything else, you have to incorporate the metaphysical aspects of it because the power elite in all of these systems, they know this knowledge. They're never going to tell you about it. They want to keep making you watch TV and stupid YouTube videos and uh, pornography where people jerk off into the camera or uh, vag blast into the camera, whatever happens. And so they don't want you to know that there is a specific spiritual aspect to every single planet in the solar system. They don't want you to know that. Now, here's another little tidbit from Steiner. Everything happens in cycles of seven. Cycles of seven. So if you really want to get down to it, if you're looking at things from an, uh, you know, a metaphysical perspective, you essentially have seven planets to go through, and mankind progresses spiritually through these seven planets. Picture a U shape, and you've got three planets on the left, you've got three planets on the right, you know, they're upright, they're parallel, and then you've got one planet at the bottom of it. So that one planet at the bottom of it unites the U. So you've got three descending You've got the one at the bottom, and then you've got three ascending. What does that mean? In, in the most basic of terms, you come from a higher plane of awareness, and then you start descending to more denser and denser frequencies to the point where you're actually physical. And then once you go through the process of being physical and being separate, right, because you have to fornicate with a female on the physical plane in order to create more life. On the higher planes, you don't have to do that, according to some of this work. So once you hit that bottom planet, that fourth planet, all of a sudden, the ascension then begins. You're no longer as physical, as dense. So you have to get out of that scientific mindset so what is the next planet that mankind, according to Steiner, is supposed to access after the Earth plane? It is the Jupiter plane. So let's piece this all together. 
You've got the religious leaders going to Mount Sinai, a feminine energy mountain, accessing feminine energy from the moon to bring it down to this planet. There's no masculine energy involved other than the religious leaders, but they're not doing a masculine type of ritual. They're doing a feminine ritual. So you have feminine energy with no direction on this planet. Then you've got HARP and the military and all of these other various organizations and colleges beaming the Earth's ionosphere onto Jupiter, which Jupiter has access to the current situation on a grand scale. Right? There's your masculine energy. Spiritually, there's your masculine energy. Jupiter, Zeus, Ball, all associated with the same planet, Jupiter. There's your masculine energy. You have the religious leaders doing the feminine ritual. You have the military doing the masculine ritual to bounce back off of Jupiter, to bring back the knowledge of the cosmic presence, like Rudolf Steiner said, to then lead all of this feminine energy into a certain direction. And like I said also, mankind's next step in awareness is a more Jupiterian aspect. It's a more aware aspect. You're more aware of the present. You're more aware of knowledge. You don't see, or you see right through all of the BS. So, what does this mean, in my humble opinion? I think that this Mount Sinai ritual is going to bring down that feminine energy. The military is going to access the masculine energy from Jupiter. They're going to then use that feminine energy as the charge that guides the Jupiterian energy that's being brought back from Harp onto this planet. Also, being that it's the military and religious leaders, we have to look at this with a jaded eye, with a, with a jaundiced eye and a jaded point of view, which means they're trying to hijack mankind's natural, spiritual, metaphysical progression into a direction that they want to take it. Do you understand that? All of this has to do with electromagnetic fields. All of this has to do with resonance and frequency, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. It's on a subconscious level that you're not completely aware of unless you've gone through certain practices that make you go, oh, wait a minute, this isn't me. This is somebody that's, or something that's bouncing this energy off of me. And then I get the Oompa Loompa vibes when I walk into a room. So I don't feel very well. They're trying to hijack the consciousness of mankind and redirect the progression of mankind and stymie, slow down the awareness that things like COVID and Trump's election and the midterm elections have been bringing up to the surface. In other words, the whole thing is a sham. And the only way that mankind is going to progress is if it rips the band-aid off of all of this and realizes the sham and actually takes large enough, proactive enough steps to remedy the whole situation. 
It's not going to get done today. It's not going to get done tomorrow. It's going to take years, if not decades, to unwind all of this. But it must be done. And if you're listening to me, you're well aware of all of those things. And on top of that, you're more than prepared to jump into the next cycle and completely lay waste to all of the liars and the snakes and the seditionists and any other nefarious beings out there because you're all lovable fuzzballs and you're on the Last Call Caravan. And I am Chris Michaels. This is the Last Call Podcast, and it is also the last podcast of the week. So I wish you a very beautiful weekend, and I will, as always, be back on Monday night or Tuesday, depending upon when you listen to me. So please do everything in your power to have an amazing weekend with friends and family.